0: The Art LeBeau Show, with music and dancing for
1: everyone. Our special guest tonight, Bobby Day, the Vogues, and Jerry Wallace. And here he is, Southern California's number one disc jockey, Art LeBeau.
0: If you're reaching for a comparison, you could call him the Vin Scully of radio DJs, because Art LeBeau has been playing the oldies since back when they and he weren't even old. He was 18 and in the Navy when he took the mic in a San Francisco radio station that was almost 75 years ago. Since then, he's hosted his own radio shows and a TV show on KTLA, a kind of California bandstand. It was his following and the music he played that helped put early rock and roll on the nation's playlists. His Latino listeners lionize him. He just rode through East L.A. as legendary marshal of the Christmas parade. That a 92-year-old guy still airs those listeners' dedications and plays their songs six nights a week across California and parts of the West is a testament to knowing how to ride the roller coaster of radio wavelengths and radio trends from the days when music came out of radios as big as air conditioners to now when the top 40, what am I saying, the top 40,000 can play from your pocket. How did you get hooked on radio?
1: Oh, I was switched on to radio when I was eight or nine years old when my sister uh, gave the family a little radio, and I used to sit and stare into the uh, uh, the speaker cloth for hours. My mother couldn't drag me away, and I thought, what a thing this is. There's this box talking. It mesmerized me, and uh, just listening to it day and night, and that's how I got so, you know, call it hypnotized by this box. I uh, listened to soap operas and listened to big bands at night. As far as as being on the air, uh, I was I dreamed of being on a network to be able to come on the air and say, "This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System." And that dream came, actually came true in 19, maybe it was about 1948, when I was with KOLO in uh, Reno.
0: And then, when did you discover rock and roll?
1: Rock and roll what we know as rock and roll, didn't really happen until the 50s. Now there, there was rhythm and blues before that. R&B became rock and roll. The audience that I gathered quickly in the 50s, uh, when the war was over and I came back to Los Angeles, there was a whole new, the, you know, Elvis was, was the big rush at that point, 1955, and I, I wanted to be in on it, and I came up with this idea for a program from a drive-in restaurant. Which there were a lot of in California at that point.
0: You broadcast from a drive-in called Scrivener's at the corner of Sunset and Cowenga. People liked the excitement of live. They liked the idea of dedicating songs to their friends and their family.
1: Well, uh, I was a pretty good salesman, and I used to sell all night radio. We have had that, and, and as I more I sold, the more money I made, and uh, so I I would you know go out and try to get. People to buy radio time, and then if they did, I would be able to announce it. And maybe I have a like a three-hour show from midnight to three or something like that. But then, shortly after that, like right about 1955, maybe 54 in through there, I came up with that idea because the drive-in. This man, Paul Scrivener, he had he had a chain of drive-ins. They said, "Well, I'm buying all this time from you. Why can't you do the show out here? You know, in the afternoon." and hit me like a lightning bolt. I thought, why not? You know, a lot of the kids were staying up late to hear some of this rock and roll and uh, the big bands, uh, everything. They, they liked everything, all kinds of music, anything that was new and different. And this Elvis stuff just grabbed them by the collar. So I was broadcasting from the drive-in. We decided to try it out. You ain't nothing but a hand. Put this thing on the air around about 1957, maybe, when uh, Elvis was in his prime. You know, he's doing Hound Dog and all those songs. I even got Elvis to come to the drive-in once. He wouldn't go on the air though. But he came over and, and he had and he had Natalie Wood with him, and I thought, oh, this is great. I I, I just said, uh, that Elvis was there. And, It looked like a traffic jam in about 10 minutes. He he didn't want to talk, so I didn't talk to him. I just said we played a song for Natalie Wood.
0: Now that phrase, oldies but goodies, you trademarked that, right?
1: Yeah, we trademarked it, I think, around 1959 or 60. And I went into the record business, and uh, that was our primary project, was the oldies but goodies album series, and that started my record company with that.
0: Did that make you more money than being on the radio? Uh,
1: yeah, a lot more. <laughs> but these were, these were compilations, and they'd never been done before, of different artists on one album. So I'd leased these songs from various record companies and combined them with different artists on one album, like 12 songs, six on each side. Yeah, I heard that a guy named Mitch Miller, who was president of the A&R at CBS had one in his hand. One of the promotion people told me, a guy looked down, he said, what an idea.
0: Your Latino fan base is huge. When when your show was canceled in 2015, there was a big outcry, especially from Latino listeners, and that helped to get you back on the air. Smiley so and Chewy here. So. With some heartbreaking news. As you may or may not know, the Art LeBeau show has been canceled in Los Angeles. Much to my dismay. Art Wherever you are, Los Angeles needs you. And every Chicano looking for love who can't find the words needs you. For those listeners, you're virtually a member of the family.
1: Yeah, they do. They do to this day. I sometimes have three generations of Latinos listening to me.
0: Some of your your listeners in that community, even their parents weren't born when some of this 50s music was, was written, when it originated.
1: What's the appeal? Memories, you know, takes you back to some point in your life. Uh, that's what why it's so powerful to play uh, oldies for goodies or uh, old school, as we call it now. I mean, you play a song, the song connects to to you personally. If you're listening to the radio, I'll all, say it all the time on my show. As I say, the listeners pick the music. You know, when you when you have the focus groups, they Stations trying to figure out what songs to play from the past. I think a group comes in and they give them a little button and they decide what they like and then they program that way. A lot of stations do. The reason mine works so well is I have a focus group every night and uh, I have people answering the phone. We have 10 lines and they can ask for songs on Facebook. You know, they can tweet us if they want and, you know, all of the media so we have people there that are answering letters and uh, especially people for, for that are incarcerated get a chance to listen to the radio night and uh, hear their dedication to their wife at home
0: earth angel, earth angel. I want to ask you about some of the ways the music industry has changed, the radio industry has changed. One of them in the 1950s was the payola scandal, which took down DJ Alan Freed. How did that change music broadcasting?
1: Well, Alan Freed was a friend of mine. When he came here from New York, I helped him get a job. And that was just, you know, wrong for them to do that because taking money to play records was basically wrong fired all those people who were doing that.
0: I think Alan Freed, after that, came out here and worked for a while in Santa Monica.
1: He was on K-Day for a while, the old K-Day a long time ago, 1961. But then he went to a couple of outlying places and just, he never caught on out this way. It just didn't happen for him.
0: Jimmy Webb, whom I talked to earlier this year, he told me that he and other musicians used to joke that one day people would carry around whole albums worth of music in their pockets. The technology now is astonishing. You don't really need a radio station anymore.
1: No, you don't. And I think that's why the radio business is is kind of thinking, you know.
0: Does it need to be personalized? Would that help to save it?
1: I can't give you a big yes or no. That's part of what makes my, you know, success is the... The intimacy between the radio listener and and uh, and the radio station. The station projects itself as personal, and then it may become personal. It's a whole different ballgame than it was since I've lived through it. Now, for, I mean, I'll be finishing in September. I will have been on commercial radio for seventy-five years. Now, September was the oh, when so- I started at KSAN in wow. nineteen forty-three. KSAN was a AFRA station, American Federation of Radio Artists. And uh, in order to go on the air, I had to join the American Federation of Radio Artists. So on my card, which I was paying dues all these years, it says member since 1943. So
0: you must be card number, what, 11?
1: <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. My card's got about four or five zeros in front of it. So I don't know <laughs> what it means.
0: <laughs> you and radio have grown up at the same time. What do you wish your current self, your ninety-something self, could tell your twenty-something self?
1: I found out in my years of radio, you can't predict the future. I mean, who would have ever predicted the Beatles to become as big as they are? But by you know, creating a, a style of music or a different, like rap music, for instance, came along and it was completely different. You know, it broke through and. Uh, that has happened you know through the years if somebody's got a, something really worth hearing for whatever reason it is uh, they'll come back to it you know if that's the only place they can get it I mean uh, look like at Taylor Swift you know she's a great artist and uh, he broke through because he's talented and right and everything. He says, yeah, You belong with me. Um, um, that, that's potent because probably has happened to many people. They look at somebody and somebody else is walking down the street with them, and that, that's an emotion that's, you know, bingo. It just hits the bullseye. I loved radio all my life, and I still do. <clears throat> and I think there's a place for it. It's May, the way it's delivered may change because, you know, it doesn't have to be terrestrial radio. Most of the terrestrial radio stations are having a rough time. I mean, you could go on the air with your own show and just get, get yourself an Internet site and bang away on whatever you want to play. If it's something special and real interesting and nobody else is doing it, I think you've got a good chance to break through. All I know is the people pick the music, so how can I go wrong?
0: Some favorite of yours of all time?
1: I like a song that I once owned um, by the Skyliners called Since I Don't Have You. An oldie but goodie is something that you listen to when you were in high school or maybe even early years of college. And that will ring a bell right away. The guy on the radio says, hey, what song were you thinking of? And then he put it on the air kind of foolproof, you
0: know. Art LeBeau, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, you're welcome, Pat.
0: Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered by Tim French and Todd G. Levin and edited by Levin. The audio moments are the Skyliners singing Since I Don't Have You on the Calico label, Earth Angel by the Penguins on the Dutone label, Taylor Swift on Big Machine Records, and Elvis, of course, on RCA. That was KTLA and the Art LeBeau Show in 1958. And the two LeBeau-loving guys are on Hey Vato on YouTube. I am Pat Morrison.
1: Since I don't